Hello, everyone, and welcome to another installment of Podcast 360, your go-to resource for medical news and clinical updates. I'm your moderator, Jessica Bard, with Consultant 360, a multidisciplinary medical information network. Nearly 3% of U.S. adults had bipolar disorder in the past year, according to the National Institutes of Health. Dr. Clay Jackson is here to speak with us today about bipolar disorder. Dr. Jackson is an assistant professor of clinical psychiatry and family medicine at the University of Tennessee College of Medicine in Memphis, Tennessee. Thank you for joining us today, Dr. Jackson. Please describe mania, hypomania, and major depressive episode, and what are the differences between each? Wow, a short question with so many stems uh, that we could uh, sort of take off on and elaborate on. So uh, let's start it actually with the last category question, which is a major depressive episode. This is what we learned in professional training, sort of the SIG ECAPS, S-I-G-E-C-A-P-S. Those are the traditional DSM or Diagnostic Statistical Manual criteria for diagnosing depression as far as a major depressive episode. And in order to be considered an MDE or major depressive episode, a patient would need to events or demonstrate five out of nine of those characteristics over a two-week period. It would need to be a change from their normal level of functioning. And those five of nine criteria, one of them needs to be either depressed mood or what we call anhedonia, a lack of pleasure or lack of desire for pleasurable activity. So so that's a major depressive disorder episode or, or a major depressive episode. Let's talk about then what is mania or hypomania. Now, when we think about mania and hypomania, some people think of elevated mood in terms of sort of grandiosity or increased self-esteem or uh, euphoria in terms of a, a high in terms of mood, but it can also just be irritability as mood too. So sometimes I think, and just explain this space, I'll talk about increased energy um, of mood, not just uh, an increase in the quality of, of the mood. But um, if we look at bipolar criteria, we're talking about uh, basically seven diagnostic stems, increased grandiosity or self-esteem, a decreased need for sleep, rapid speaking, racing thoughts, easy distractibility, what we call psychomotor agitation or doing lots of activities at once, doing lots of tasks, maybe even purposeless movements, and then potentially harmful impulsive activities such as drug use, substance use, overspending, risky sexual behaviors, or, or dangerous driving. And so in order to be considered bipolar one or mania, then three of these need to be present for a week. And if it's just irritable mood and not an expansive mood in terms of euphoria, then four of those need to be present. And obviously with bipolar one, we need to see, um, in order for diagnostic specificity to be there, a marked impairment a need for hospitalization or a significant impact on vocational or relational activities. For hypomania, it's the same criteria, yet um, they only have to be present for four days uh, for, to qualify as bipolar two or hypomania. Um, and there doesn't have to be marked improve, uh, impairment in vocational or relational functioning. Uh, the patient would not need to be hospitalized. Also, any psychosis as part of a bipolar episode, no matter the duration, qualifies a person in terms of mania or bipolar one. So that sort of gets us into bipolar one, bipolar two, and then 
major depressive disorder in terms of mania, hypomania, and a major depressive episode. There also, for those who want the bonus round, there's something called a mixed state or mixed features in which a patient might have a major depressive episode, but they could have three or more of the symptoms of a manic episode present, or a patient might have a manic episode on the other end of the mood spectrum, and they might have three or more of the nine depressive criteria present, and we would call that mania with mixed features, or we call it a major depressive episode with mixed features, depending on which end of the spectrum was diagnostic as a root cause, and then the sort of additional symptoms. And obviously mixed states, as one might assume, are sometimes a little difficult to treat. There's a filibuster answer to your short question. You're probably afraid to ask any more questions, but uh, uh, a, a complex, complex answer because these are complex patients and complex disorders. Yeah, absolutely. So we talked about the symptoms, but how is bipolar disorder diagnosed when we're talking about maybe physical examination? So the key to most psychiatric diagnoses actually is the history. Uh, certainly physical exam can help us. We can look at the patient's comportment. We can watch for movements. We can see uh, with our eyes, the patient's engagement, how they look at us. We can listen to how they're speaking and the expression of their thoughts, the organization, et cetera. And so these are things that we can pick up on in physical space or even through virtual or telehealth. However, the history of the patient is sort of the sine qua non or the, the, the key diagnostic feature. The gold standard for diagnosis of bipolar disorder is a structured clinical interview or so-called SCID, a structured clinical interview diagnostic. And that's a 30-minute interview with certain validated questions that are asked of the patient. However, in the lives of most busy clinicians, such a SCID interview is impractical and is often not relied upon in the clinical setting so much as sort of shortcuts or validated scales or screeners that we might use to elucidate some of the patients. Two of the screeners that I routinely use in my clinical practice are the rapid mood screener and the mood disorder questionnaire. And these can sort of be shortcuts, if you will, or uh, very quick instruments that are uh, reported on by the patient, take about three to five minutes to fill out, and they help clinicians to diagnose. They're not diagnostic in and of themselves, but they can help us screen for bipolar disorder. The mood disorder questionnaire was developed by Robert Hertzfeld, and the rapid mood screener is a more recent screener that's developed. And I like it because it's shorter. It has fairly equal sensitivity and specificity to the MDQ. Uh, so we're talking 80, 90%. And then it's it, it also takes into account some of the bipolar depression side of things, which the, the MDQ or mood disorder questionnaire does not. Now, importantly, there are not sort of smoking gun or pathognomonic blood tests or laboratory tests that point us to bipolar disorder. This is a clinical diagnosis. And so, as we said, the history and to some degree, the physical are the, the key elements in the clinician's diagnostic toolkit. Are there other disorders that are commonly confused with bipolar disorder? What are they and why would you say that is? Oh, wow. Yes, 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 yes. There are many comorbid psychiatric disorders which can actually be present in the bipolar patient. And then there are other disorders that are very similar that share symptomatology with bipolar disorder. And so this can lead to significant diagnostic confusion. Picture a set of circles kind of overlapping as a Venn diagram might with different symptoms in them that belong to different diagnostic clusters. 
and this is this is it almost looks like a flower with uh, with lots of different diagnoses that could be there. Certainly, substance use disorder can mimic the the behaviors of patients who have had their cognition, their behavior, and their affect altered by illicit pharmacologic products, drugs can can certainly mimic bipolar disorder. In the absence of exogenous substances, patients with anxiety can often have some of the symptoms of bipolar disorder. The most common misdiagnosis is patients uh, who have a depressive episode associated with bipolar disorder. Remember, it's two poles, and patients with bipolar disorder actually spend more time in the depressed phase than they do in the manic or the hypomanic phase. And so often they come to the clinician's office in a depressive episode, and if the clinician doesn't take a careful history, then bipolar disorder might be missed. So the most common misdiagnosis is major depressive disorder. Adult ADD or attention deficit disorder can often be misdiagnosed uh, in patients who have bipolar disorder because impulsivity and lack of concentration on task can be common between the two uh, diagnoses in terms of the symptom cluster. So again, MDD, ADD, and SUD, substance use disorder. These are three common misdiagnoses for patients who have bipolar disorder. When is bipolar disorder typically diagnosed in a patient? Too late. And I really don't mean that in a sarcastic fashion. I mean it as a call to action for those of us who are in the mental health space and in the primary care space as clinicians. Even if a person's in a first responder space, such as emergency department or uh, EMS, emergency medical services space, understanding and being aware of bipolar illness is so critical to picking it up because as I mentioned, this can be a complex diagnosis. And unfortunately, even in our current society with the positive peer pressure that we have for the destigmatization of, of, of mental illness and mental health diagnoses, bipolar patients unfortunately often suffer from their symptoms for a decade or more before they receive a proper diagnosis. They may go through two or three clinicians, two or three pharmacologic treatment regimens before bipolar illness is accurately, properly diagnosed. As you can imagine, this does a lot of damage to the body. This does a lot of damage to the brain. And unfortunately, this does a lot of damage to the person's relationships, both vocational and social, uh, before proper treatment might improve the symptomatology to the point that a patient could have improved functionality uh, in both their personal and vocational lives. In terms of the demographics of when patients get diagnosed, symptoms often present in the, the teen or early 20s years, but patients typically get diagnosed, as I said, later. So we're talking about late 20s, mid 30s, when many patients are diagnosed, because there's uh, seriously a, approximately a 10-year lag from onset of symptomatology to onset of proper nosology or, or diagnostic precision. What are the risk factors of bipolar disorder? Well, in terms of causality, that's a bit difficult to shake out. There are a number of genetic polymorphisms that offer some uh, predilection for bipolar disorder. The environmental factors that may contribute are somewhat controversial, but can be certainly contributory. The more that we learn about early life adversity and how it sets up inflammation in the human brain, we certainly see that correlation in major depressive disorder. And there are many who feel that this is contributory toward bipolar disorder as well. If we're talking about correlation, 
there are a number of factors that increase the chances that your patient who's having a mental health challenge may have bipolar disorder. That includes an early onset of depressive symptomatology, unpredictable or unexpected responses to antidepressant pharmacology for treatment of depression, a family history of bipolar disorder. Bipolar disorder is one of the most heritable mental health conditions that we know of. Patients who have frequent changes with domestic partnerships, with vocational aspirations. One classic phrase that's used often is tempestuous biography. Uh, patients who, who have a history of boundary transgression uh, in ways that are a little bit beyond what their peers do or experience. These can be, this, these can be predictive and in females, uh, females who have a history of postpartum depression, again, that points to an earlier age of onset. These can be indicators that a person might be uh, experiencing bipolar symptoms rather than so-called unipolar or straight major depressive disorder symptoms. How about the prevalence? What is the prevalence of bipolar disorder? Oh, that one's a hot one. It depends on with whom you're speaking. In the old days, we used to think it was 1%, but typically an easy mnemonic to remember that is bipolar 1 is probably 1%. If we include bipolar 2 or bipolar not otherwise specified or NOS, um, the so-called softer bipolar spectrum disorders, then we're probably up to about 3% in terms of, of cross prevalence for a, a given year or looking back 12 months. And this sort of speaks to a, a real change in the research and literature of the last two decades in which the prevalence of bipolar disorder in primary care populations has uh, had a greater appreciation as a result of the research of of some real clinical heroes like Sloan Manning, my mentor, uh, Roger, Roger McIntyre, Michael Thays, and, and others. Is there anything else that you'd like to add today, Dr. Jackson? These patients can be persons who suffer with complex symptoms. They can have clusters of expressions that are, are, are somewhat difficult to tease out in terms of what their proper diagnosis is. And then treatment can be a challenge as well. However, it's incredibly satisfying as a clinician, to lean into these patients' experiences, to listen to them, to learn from them what they're experiencing. And then with a proper diagnosis and with treatment, these patients can do quite well. And the, the change that one sees in these patients' lives is remarkable. And it is one of the most satisfying clinical conditions in terms of treatment that I personally experience as, as a clinician. So I would just encourage my colleagues, don't be discouraged. Don't be dismayed by the complexity of the illness. You can do this. You can offer good help to these patients. Just partner with them, collaborate with them uh, in a non-judgmental, uh, a non-pejorative way. Learn about their experiences, and, and you'll find this could be very rewarding as a treatment journey for you and the patient. Well, thank you so much for your time today. We really appreciate you being on the podcast. Thank you so much. I enjoyed speaking with you today, and hopefully this is helpful for our colleagues as well. Thank you for listening.